0: Good morning. I'm I'm really glad. Golly, I'm so grateful that you're here. Pastor Tim is not here; he's on vacation. Uh, so you get me. Um, I, we're grateful uh, for every chance he has to go and get some rest, and and I'm grateful for every chance that he ever gives me to uh, to fill the pulpit for him. I want you to. We're going to get right to it. I want you to find Exodus chapter 17 in your Bible. Hope you brought it with you. I've um, been encouraging our students think there's an epidemic in the church of people uh, not bringing their Bibles with them to church, and that seems kind of nuts for us as Christians to come to church and not have a Bible, but um, people do it all the time, so I hope you have one. And if you do, uh, Exodus 17, sermon out of the Old Testament. When I was growing up in church as a kid, I I, kind of grew up with the stereotype that the Old Testament was boring. Um, I think because most of the lessons I heard, most of the sermons I heard preached were out of the New Testament, so I just sort of assumed that the Old Testament was boring. And when you read books like Leviticus, it's pretty easy to think why uh, some people would think the Old Testament was uh, boring. But it's very much not. And one of the things I love about the Old Testament is the richness in the way the Old Testament tells the story of God and the story of His people. And I think... Part of the reason that God chose to reveal Himself in His Word in the form of a story is because He knew that we as people loved a great story. That's why we go to the movies. That's why we read novels. That's why we love watching television. We love a good story. And happened upon this story this week. The Lord laid this on my heart. I believe for um, for such a time as this in the life of our church. And so I hope that I hope that you grasp. Uh, what this story is going to teach us this morning. If you know your your Sunday school trivia, you know that the story of Exodus is the story of God uh, rescuing his people from slavery and then bringing them into the, the land of promise that he had prepared for them. And Exodus is very much a story about a journey and a transformation of God's people. And it's the same for us. The life that we live, the story that we're living right now is very much a story of journey and transformation. From the time we begin our walk with Christ, the constant transformation that he's making in us until we finally reach the land that's been promised to us, which is home, which is where we belong. Meister Eckhart said of the place we find ourselves now that God is at home. And we are in the far country. This is not where we're supposed to be. This is not, as the people of God, the place that he has made intending for us to be. It is with him. And so with the Israelites, Egypt was not where they were intended to be. And so he took them out and began to move them to where he he created and intended for them to be. And the crazy thing about the Israelites, which is also a crazy thing about us, is they fought him every step of the way, it seems. There was always... Uh, some foolish decision that they had made there was always disobedience in the path God would give them direction God would give them a path tell them what to do tell them which way to go and they were always messing up which is not unlike us either right um, always making foolish choices always thinking that we know the way better than he does and so we second guess what he tells us to do and, and we decide to make our own path and oftentimes we get uh, in much trouble just like the Israelites did Each one of us is on a journey. But one of the reasons that I think the Lord is bringing this word to us this morning in this story is because as First Baptist Lindale, we are on a journey. And um, I want to take an opportunity publicly to say thank you to you um, for your amazing, unbelievable gifts and graciousness to Kim and I. Uh, over the past several weeks and recognizing us for being here for 10 years Um, it is a privilege most guys like me in youth ministry either get fired or get bored and we move on to something else within 18 months, 2 years and and usually either we do something crazy and we get in trouble and get fired and have to leave or um, we just get bored and decide to move on to something else but that has not happened here and that's a rarity, and so we're very grateful for that. So for, for the past 10 years anyway, we've been a part of this journey with you. We've been a part of watching God unfold this story of this church. And it started a very long time ago. And as with every journey, I know that we have experienced here with you in the past 10 years, there are ups and downs in the journey. And there are highs and there are lows and there are victories, and there are defeats. I think the story of God's people in Exodus is very much a reflection of our own story, of our journey. And there's a little portion of the journey that we're going to read about. One small battle in the midst of many that the Israelites faced that I think will speak very loudly to us as a church if we will listen. Pray with me this morning. Father, we, um, we came into this place and we sang songs to you. And one of the last things we said to you before we sat down was we asked you a question. And the question we asked you was, what else can we say and what else can we do except to offer our hearts completely to you? And Father, I believe there's some people in here who meant that when they sang it. At the same time, I believe there are people here who just sang a song. And maybe some of us are in between. God, I pray that as we dive into this story, as you show us the truth that we can apply to our walk, not just individually, but as a church of First Baptist Lindale, planted here in this community, that you you see us really mean what we sing. And not just singing another song. We love you. Teach us. Uh, because we need to be taught. And we ask you this in Christ's name. Amen. Exodus 17. Israel is on this journey. To get to the promised land. And there are lots of obstacles that they face. At this particular time. Their obstacle was the Amalekites. Which was a, another um, tribe of people. Who were hostile to Israel. And as they're traveling along. Uh, They come into the Amalekites' territory. Uh, The Amalekites say, you're not going to take our land. And so they, they come against Israel to battle them. And so Moses, in leading the people, calls to Joshua. If you look in verse 9 of chapter 17, it says, Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men to go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered And Moses, Aaron, and Ur went to the top of the hill. And as long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. And when Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat on it. Aaron and Ur held up his hands. One on one side, one on the other. So that his hands remained steady until sunset. And so Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. And then the Lord said to Moses, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered. And make sure that Joshua hears it. Because I, am complete, I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner. He said, for hands were lifted up to the throne of the Lord. The Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. You know what the result of that was? God basically said to Moses, you tell Joshua that the Amalekites will never come against you again. Moses, in the verses right before this, it's interesting because the people of Israel are complaining to Moses before here. Uh, they're grumbling. They're complaining about his leadership. They're talking about what a poor leader he is. If you go back and read just a few verses before, they're talking about how uh, he doesn't know what he's doing. He's, um, he's a poor leader. And now they're faced with this battle, and he tells Joshua, which is the first time Joshua is called in Scripture as the military leader, sort of Moses' right-hand guy. He calls on Joshua and says, I want you to go find the men that can fight this battle and and go fight Amalek and I'm gonna go up on the hill tomorrow during the battle and I'm gonna hold the staff of God in my hands. Now you think, well what's the big deal about that? I want you to think about if you were in the battle, if you were one of those men that Joshua chose and you're in the thick of the battle and you look up on the hill and you see Moses with his arms outstretched holding the staff of God in his hand. If you're an Israelite, you know what that staff represents. When you were coming out of Egypt, Pharaoh had let you go, but then he changed his mind. and He's decided he's coming back after you, and he's on your tail. And you get to the Red Sea, and you think, what are we going to do? There's, nothing, there's nowhere for us to go. Moses takes the staff of God, and he holds it out over the water. And God parts the sea and creates dry ground for you. And all the other Israelites to walk across. And then as that staff is lowered, the seas come together to destroy Pharaoh and his army. How many times in the life of Israel did they need water? They need food. Moses would use the staff to provide what they needed. So the Israelites are fighting in battle and they look up on the hill and they see Moses. The silhouette of Moses with his arms stretched out holding the staff of God. And they look up on the hill and they remember. And they look and they see that. And Moses standing on the top of the hill, holding that staff out like that, was the representation of the power and the presence of God with his people. In the thick of the battle, when it was hard, they could look up on that hill and they saw Moses. And he was holding that staff. Moses stood on the mountain and he interceded for the people. He prayed over the battle he spoke to god on behalf of the people in times past he he went to god on behalf of the people he prayed for the people and he received god's instructions for the people and during this battle his job was to stand on the hill and keep the people's eyes focused on what the source of their strength was lest they become foolish and think that the battle is in their hands which it's not Moses knew it wasn't in their hands. Moses knew the battle wasn't in his hands. It was in the hands of God. And his hands outstretched to heaven with that staff was to remind Israel where their strength and their power and their deliverance comes from. Can I say something to you this morning? This church is in a battle. And I don't know if we really understand that that's true. I think sometimes when a preacher says we're in a battle, we think that that's just a supposed to be a spiritual uh, motivation just to get you fired up to do something. But we leave and we live our lives like there's really not any kind of battle going on. We sort of live as if we're in peacetime. And guys, what I want us to understand as a church is in the spiritual realm, there is no peacetime. There's none. Peace time is when Jesus breaks through the sky on his white horse with all of us behind him. And he wipes out everybody that is against him. And he establishes peace. But until then, there is no peace time. There's a battle going on and we are right in the middle of it. This church is fighting for its life. Right now. Because at any moment, the enemy can destroy it. Because he has tried already. He's tried to destroy this church on more than one occasion. And there may be some times where we thought he was going to be successful. But he hasn't been yet. And we are still fighting. And we are still in a battle. And God is still faithful, y'all. And he is still good. And he is still powerful. And he still wants to use us. But the battle we're fighting is real, and we're in one right now. <clears throat> the role of Moses was to focus the minds and the hearts of the people on God's power and God's presence. And this spe- speaks to me as a leader of this church. I understand it for these students. My job is to hold the gospel high. For them to see God's truth and hold on to it and base their lives on it. Our pastor understands what his role is in the life of this church. I often say that I'm not ready to be a pastor. Some people ask me because lots of, lots of youth, most pastors you talk to started out being youth ministers at some point. And then they stepped up. If you want to call that a promotion, I don't necessarily call it a promotion. I like what I do. But people ask me sometimes, do you think you'll ever pastor a church? And I'm like, no, I, I just don't see that. I, don't know if that I, I know that I'm not ready for that. Because this story shows the vital role that the called man of God plays in the leadership of the battle. Moses was the one responsible for the strategy of the battle. The one to uphold truth. The, the, and the truth that God intended for his people to stay focused on. And guys, this is what our pastor does for us. This is his role. His role is to be Moses, to stand on the hill with the staff of God raised high and to say, people, this is the gospel, this is the truth, this is the God that we serve. Remember, don't be weary in the battle. And I know he does that with all of his heart. This this picture, this story is a beautiful picture of a leader lifting The eyes of the people to the source of their strength in life. Because that's what a pastor does. That's what a youth pastor does. That's what a music minister does. That's what any church staff does. That's our job. Our job is to be Moses in this story. But then there's another hard truth to this story Moses gets tired. It doesn't matter how passionate Moses is. It doesn't matter how much he loves his people. It doesn't matter how much faith he has in believing that God is going to give victory in the battle. His arms were getting tired. And because he kept his eyes on the people, he knew that when he got tired and when he put his arms down, the people started losing the battle started to shift the other way. So he couldn't put his arms down. He had to leave them up. Because when he dropped them, they started to lose. Even though Moses knew the strength for the battle was not in him. He knew the strength came from God, but he knew that his ability to hold up the staff was going to affect the battle. And he had to keep his arms up. When he got weak, they started to lose. I want you to think about for a minute the burden that Moses had to have carried on him as the leader. He wasn't going to give victory to the people God was. But God had called him to be their leader. And for them to win this battle, his arms had to be up. He knew that. But they got really tired. And they started to hurt. And his shoulders started to burn. And his, the muscles in his arms began to ache. But he couldn't put his arms down. And then when it seemed like the battle was getting longer and longer. And he, and Moses was struggling and he couldn't, he, he couldn't hold out much longer. There were two men. There was Aaron. And there was Ur. His brother and his brother-in-law who went to the hill with him. And when they saw Moses getting tired. they found a rock and they pushed up under him and he sat on it. And then they both got on each side of him and one held up one arm and one held up the other because they saw what was going on. They knew that the fate of the people, the, the result of the battle rested in Moses' ability to keep his arms up, to keep the staff of God lifted high. Um, Drew... Will you come up here, buddy? Corey, my buddy back there in the corner, will you come up here too? Uh, They couldn't. um, Moses needed somebody to, you just pick a side, buddy. I don't care which side, (laughs) any side at this point. Um, there were two men who stood on the hill with Moses and when all of his strength was gone, they got under his arms and they held him up so that the people would keep winning. Aaron and Ur humbly served their leader for the good of the people and for the glory of God. Now, their reaction could have been very different. And can I be so bold as to say if if they were Baptists, maybe their reaction might have been could have been, well, you know, Moses is getting old. He can't hold his arms up. We should just get somebody else to do it. Or maybe uh, maybe they would have said, you know what, Moses has been around long enough. We know that Joshua is kind of getting ready to take over his place. Maybe maybe now's the time. Maybe we should just get Moses out of here and put Joshua in his place. Or maybe they could have watched Moses fail. Maybe they could have seen his arms getting weak, and watched his arms go down saw the battle begin to shift, and then when Israelite lost, they could have just blamed Moses for it. But they didn't. See, what they understood was that God had called out Moses to lead them. And it was nobody else's job. It was not Aaron's job to take Moses' place. It was not Ur's job to take Moses' place. And it was not their job to decide when Moses' leadership was ineffective anymore. That was God's. So they knew the only thing to do was because this was the man. This is who God has called to be our leader. He's our leader. God has required him to stand and lift his arms up. He can't do it anymore, so I'm going to help him. Rather than place all the responsibility for the success of the battle on Moses, they chose to share that responsibility. And they chose to own it. I'm afraid there's too many churches in the country that are content to let their leaders shoulder the entire responsibility for lifting up the truth of the gospel. And the truth is, it doesn't matter how passionate, how charismatic, how popular any leader in any church ever is, their arms are going to get tired. But because of the resolve of Moses and the faithfulness of Aaron and Ur who were willing to serve Moses and serve the people and serve God, the result of the battle was victory. And a really awesome thing is that when when the victory was won, God told them, you won't ever have to battle this, these people again. I'm going to take them away. Maybe there are churches. Maybe we're one of those churches. I don't know. But maybe we keep fighting the same battles over and over because we've not followed the direction of God. And if we finally be obedient, get up under our leader and hold up his arms when he's tired and the battle gets won God will say to us you don't have to fight this battle anymore it's over it's gone God desires victory for us there's not a time or a place in the life of God's church where he desires for us to be defeated the journey for this church is nowhere near over some people may have written us off already But that's so far from the truth. It's not over, guys. We are very much in the thick of a battle. And I believe that there are some pretty big, amazing, awesome moments in store for the life of this church coming down the road. I believe that God has given our pastor, our leader, our Moses, uh, a vision for some great things. And we've been through our battles already. And we fought and God has kept us restored and, he's, and we're still here. He sustained us, not without a few scars, but we're here and he wants to use us. And he doesn't just want us to survive, he wants us to be victorious. And I believe God has put the men together to, to do that here. I believe he's put the people here that he desires to do that through. think he's chosen the people to battle with Joshua in the fight. I think he's chosen the ones of us who bear the responsibility to stand on the hill and keep our arms up so that you could see the glory of what you're fighting for, which is the kingdom of God. So how do you hold up our arms? How do you hold up the arms of the people who desire to lead God's people? Well, you pray. You pray fervently, you pray faithfully for the ones God has put in leadership over you. You also, um, you know what, for me, when you volunteer to teach children's church, you lift up my arms. When you take a Sunday school class and you say, you know what, I want to pour into some kids, you lift up my arms. When you tell me you're praying for me, you lift up my arms. When you bring your honking bag of candy to church, you lift up my arms. When you sing songs and worship, you lift up Kevin's arms. When you come to tune in into what's going on and, and, and the, the presence of God comes into this place and you worship, you're, you're, you're lifting Kevin's arms. And when we get behind our pastor and we follow his lead and we support him and we lift up his arms. And I believe that the principle in God's word here is if the arms of Moses were lifted, the people were winning. If we keep the arms of our leaders lifted. God will give us victory. We can win. But there's another great truth to this story. And what I want to do now is ask you to close your eyes. There's another hill. There was a silhouette of a man standing with his arms outstretched. And the greatest battle in the history of the world was going on. And he stood on a hill over it with his arms outstretched. As a sign and a symbol to the entire world. That God was with us. That God was for us. And that the victory that was going to come for us the deliverance that was going to be provided for us was going to be provided through him Jesus on the cross says to us victory is real and you know what you're fighting hard down there And those of us who are saved need to see that vision of the cross as much as anyone who's ever been lost, anyone who's never received Christ. We don't stop needing the cross when we become Christians. So I'm just trusting God this morning to do... Whatever he chooses to do, to speak however he chooses to speak. Because the truth is that he and the Spirit made that decision a long time ago before any of us came in here. He knew what he wanted to do. He knew what he wanted to say. The question for for me, the question for each of us is how do we respond to what he has already done? Maybe you're one of those people that are in the trenches with Joshua and you're fighting. And you're fighting hard. And maybe today you just needed to look up and see somebody with their arms outstretched who knew. Just to know that somebody does understand. And and that your leaders want to lift the glory of God up. So that he can give you strength when you don't have it. Maybe some of us are some some of us are Aaron's, some of us are Ers, and we do everything we can to hold up the arms of Moses. But maybe some of us aren't in the story because there were certain there was a certain part of Israel who's not in the story there because they're not doing anything. And I don't know if you're good with not being in the story Uh, I I don't think I am I want to be in the story I understand what God has called me to do and it's hard and it hurts sometimes of course we get tired but I'm grateful for men in this church and, and ladies alike who lift my arms up sometimes when I get tired I'm so grateful for that Maybe you're, maybe the Lord's just speaking to you saying, you know what? I I need some more arm lifters. I need some people who are willing to get up under these men and hold their arms up so that the battle can be won. Or maybe that vision helps you understand the cross even more. And you want to respond to that. Uh, That's what this time is for. So we're going to pray. We're going to sing a song of worship. The altar is open. You respond however God leads you to. But whatever he leads you to do, just be faithful to do it. What can we say, God? And what can we do? But offer our hearts completely to you.